Hello and welcome to Beyond Organic Wine. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from inside the worst storm Southern California has experienced in decades. Thanks for listening. I want to start with a bit of something that's topical in the news. The beautiful wine valley of the Okanagan in Canada is in the news because it recently experienced some really extreme cold weather. Considering its latitude, these freezes are inevitable, but they have been rare. However, two have come in two years now, and we can bet that this is the result of climate change. The damage done by this recent freeze is catastrophic, and I really feel for everyone there. Multiple wineries have been listed for sale. Winery owners are appealing to the government for financial aid. Anyone who's planning to stick around is putting serious thought into big investments into geotextiles or other processes to enable them to bury and protect their vines through winter extremities. Geotextiles are essentially small tarps that are like mini greenhouses along the ground that you have to bend your vines over and tuck under each year at ground level to protect them from freezing. The one big thing that isn't being mentioned by anyone reporting on this or talking about this in the news or in the wine trades is that this entire disaster could be averted in the future and could have been prevented in the past by growing the appropriate grapes in this region. There are dozens of grape varieties that could shrug off the kind of freeze that has decimated the Okanagan as if it was only a cool breeze. As far as I can tell, the only reason these hardy varieties aren't even on the radar of solutions is prejudice. So blind is the commitment to fashionable varieties of European vinifera that the talk is of bailouts rather than laws requiring growers to only plant appropriately resilient grapes. This is something we will see everywhere more and more as the climate changes toward greater and greater extremes. Washington State is just south of the border from the Okanagan, and Oregon is just south of Washington. It won't be long until a cold snap dives deep enough into these regions to destroy everyone's favorite Cabernets and Pinot Noirs. And so the choices are clear. You can begin to think and grow wine ecologically, or you can insist on your ego-prized vinifera and be a drain on the economy, waste taxpayer money unnecessarily, lose your crop regularly, and throw even more money and labor and resource into intensive practices that force something to grow that shouldn't be growing where you are. The fact that that first option of thinking and growing ecologically isn't even being discussed doesn't bode well. I want to say thank you to Grant Everett from Fort Collins, Colorado, who sent me a copy of the book A Small Porch by Wendell Berry with a recommendation to check out the title essay poem. A quote from this poem seems fitting to this week's episode. Forbearance is the first care we give to what we do not know. Maybe it's worth repeating that and giving you the rest of the stanza and the lines that immediately precede it. To care for what we know requires care for what we don't. The world's lives dark in the soil, dark in the dark. Forbearance is the first care we give to what we do not know. We live by lives we don't intend, lives that exceed our thoughts and needs, outlast our designs, staying by passing through, surviving again and again the risky passages from ice to warmth, dark to light. I care deeply about the natural world. That's why I do this podcast. (laughs) And of course, when I use words natural world, they aren't exactly the right words. They're just the poor abbreviated metaphor of the English language. 
for something Wendell Berry refers to elsewhere as, quote, the presence of the world being made, a fabric of interdependent wonders, moment by moment completed in beauty, leaf shadows on light leaves moving, end quote. Their forbearance, Barry mentions, describes what it looks like to love in a world where we know so little. It reminds us that our actions have consequences much bigger and that last much longer than what we intend or even know. And the preeminent gift we can give to what we love is forbearance, patient self-control, restraint, avoidance of urge fulfillment and impulsive action. When I first fell in love with wine and developed a taste for my favorite grape, I wanted to find some perfect terroir that rivaled the crews of France and grow the world's greatest version of my favorite thing. I'm actually really lucky that I've never been rich enough to do all the stupid things that I wanted to do with the earth. Having said that, I have lived long enough and been fortunate enough to finally have access to a piece of beautiful land. I'm also fortunate that this land came into my life after my ecological consciousness had been awakened and begun to be educated. I remember walking the land for the first time and thinking how absurd an idea it is that land can be owned. I remember how seeing the roll and slope of the land, walking its forests and meadows, made my heart beat faster. I fell in love with it, and this love made me terrified to harm it. It is something in itself, I realized, not something for me to calculate as an asset, not a commodity to harvest. As Barry says, quote, the conversion of trees to wood to money which is all the, quote, economy, end quote, asks, is limitlessly the mistake of arrogance, for it is the forest, not the tree, that is the source of economic good. The forest is the whole community of itself, its lives living as the gift of lives lived, end quote. This episode is the first of a two-part conversation that I had with Nicholas Hawk. You may remember Nicholas from the episode just a couple weeks ago, as he was the consultant for the Vitus Forestry Project implemented at Staffelterhof, the oldest winery in the world. Nicholas is one of the founders of Triebwerk, an agroforestry consulting company in Germany. And Vitus Forestry Projects are one of the kinds of agroforestry that he helps implement. So naturally, I had to talk to him some more. <laughs> Luckily, he was willing. This first part of this conversation is about engaging a process of forbearance before embarking on any viticultural or agricultural implementation. We talk about the kinds of questions to ask and analysis that's advised before acquiring a piece of land and altering it to achieve your goals. There are so many invaluable insights scattered throughout this conversation, but I hope the most important thing you take away is questioning your goals. Is what you want what's actually best for a given place? As Barry says, quote, we must acknowledge first that it is dark and we are blind by sight, end quote. Enjoy. Nicholas, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Adam. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> I'm so excited to have this conversation. Yeah. And welcome back, right? Um, and which is a great intro for you. Um, we met through the folks at Staffelterhof. Um, uh, because you of your project working with them on their Vita Forestry project because of your company, Triebwerk. And maybe you could introduce yourself and, yeah, a little bit about that again, just uh, for what you do with Triebwerk and who you are. Mm -hmm. Sure, yes. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm glad to be back and I'm excited for what we're doing today. Um, but yeah, um, so my name is Nicholas Hark and um, I'm one of the co-founders and um, um, uh, um, 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 heads of this company called Triebwerk, um, which 
you know, could you could probably translate it with something like trees trees work. Um, you know, it's right. a bit of a play on work words. So I'm kind of I think if I would have to found this company again in in an English speaking language, we'd probably call it something like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> jokes aside, um, yeah, we are um, um, we are um, a company that works in um, planning agroforestry sites, and we also do a lot of educational work. So um, this is really fitting with this podcast series here, and. Um, um, we are also part of um, science and innovation projects where we, um, you know, do different jobs um, as part of that from science communication through social media to um, to actually doing, you know, the, um, also planning and consulting work on the project. So quite very different um, and quite a few topics now. So we are about um, 10 people now working for the company. Um and um, yeah, we're based in the center of Germany, um, so quite normally quite far from um, anything wine related. Um, but yeah, wine has been a very special interest to me. And um, yeah, since about three years, I come very regularly to the Mosel Valley, which is also where I met um, the guys from Staffelterhof. And that's how we also kind of started with the whole um, planning of vitiforestry sites. And um, just short to my background it's i've started um, i studied organic farming um at the university of kassel which is one of the few places where you can actually study organic farming um, yeah that's amazing mm, yes very privileged and happy to have done that yeah and where are you at this moment i am um in the same town that i've stu- studied in so it's actually called witzenhausen um which is to translate like joke town um <clears throat> and this is where the um university of Kassel has its um uh, uh, has um you know the facility for um um the you know the agricultural sciences are based in this um small town about 20 minutes of Kassel uh, um, um away yeah got it so <clears throat> yeah. and this is i, I mean i, I want to thank you in advance for your idea to do this episode because I, I knew I wanted to talk to you. I knew I wanted to talk about vitiforestry mm-hmm. and you suggested this idea that we do a sort of how to, um, how to develop and, or, mm-hmm. uh, and design from the <clears throat> beginning, a, a farm or mm-hmm. vineyard project or polyculture project, but through this perspective of, you know, as if I was one of your clients, for example, or if, if we were just sort of talking mm-hmm. through a design process together and yeah. coincidentally, I've done this recently myself through a, a permaculture design certification course, I, which the project site that I used was a site that I hope to turn into a, a wine forest in upstate New York. And so I, I, I so I want to just introduce it that way as a, <laughs> so people understand what we're doing here. Um, exactly. But but and, you know, maybe the best place to start is sort of where where you start with a project when you meet somebody who comes to you and says like hey i have uh, you know this piece of land mm-hmm. and i want to do x with it like um, uh-huh. you know yeah. how do you get engaged and and when do you like what it <laughs> I, I i think probably my guess is i'm just going to say this yeah and you can <laughs> stop me or not but I, i'm guessing some of your work at the beginning is getting people to sort of pump the brakes and slow down a little bit. Is that true or no? Uh-huh. Yeah, very good. Oh, well, um, huh. well, that's a good question. Um, yes, yeah, sometimes. Um, not all the time. Um, we have okay. um, some, pl- some clients are very eager and really have big plans and come with a big, you know, uh, big ideas. 
and um, you know several different sites that they all want to start planting tomorrow. Um, this right. can happen, but it's they're, they're not that often, to be honest. Um, okay. Um, we are we have quite a few people that actually really come to us to say, hey, we've, we've, we're fascinated by the idea. We heard about this, you know, agroforestry because we we don't just um, work um, with uh, winemakers. We work with you know cattle farmers, um, you know, people that are just farming arable land, uh, growing grains or something like that. Um, uh, Or, you know, young people that want to, you know, um, take over the farm by their parents, of their parents, but, you know, they want to do things differently and um, they want to make a thorough plan. You know, they, most Mm. people really understand they're investing um, not just just, um, money into this, but also their time. And and, then this is a long-term thing. Um, So, yeah, some some actually come and really want our our view on it. Um, what what is possible here? What what you know, um, we we see farms on a very different level than the farm farmer of um, uh, is is doing. So I think that is um some of the value that we can also bring that we you know and they will like come to us. We don't even know what's to grow. You know, we are very very right. specialized in um uh in in Germany. So um. You know, if you um, have milk, dairy, cows, you know everything about cows, right? But you 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 probably don't know what you know. Don't hear anything about trees in your um, <laughs> in your educational part. So it's not very connected. It's very highly specialized um, and tenured to this yeah very specialized market that it is today. So, yeah. So um, the the very you know, nature of agroforestry being sort of a new and unexplored. Uh, mm-hmm area makes people already approach it a little more tentatively and a little more cautiously it sounds like yeah yeah i mean we have both we have really the people that also you know they've also maybe done a pdc like you have or you know just it's just just a general um you know they just love walnuts for example and they're really eager to grow walnuts and they can't see a reason why not and then sometimes we have to slam those brakes and say hmm sorry mate (laughs) but your sites i mean you they will grow here but maybe not too to um the extent that this is economically viable you know um um, most nut production or fruit production if you look at it um globally is is actually happening on very fertile soils or very good climate conditions okay so um you're competing to that on a a global market so unless you have a very special niche that you can market your products to you'll you're in competition competition to that and you know these kind of things these aspects that's what we're bringing in and um, gotcha. yeah mm-hmm. so how would we start what would uh, let's let's say i mean i know we have my project that i my my design yeah. project for the site that i i'm you know want to develop but you know you can start there or start with your own process and you know what's the first step for you in in working with somebody who has a desire to do a project like this mm-hmm. um yeah well <clears throat> um the way we we set these things up is to and this sounds weird <laughs> but um is basically to to decrease our options <laughs> okay because uh, bear with me for everybody who thinks what <laughs> um but um basically we're trying to make as um, as quickly as possible to because if you just look at pieces of land for example without you know having any farmer or any farm on it um there's quite a lot of things you can grow and um and, and things you could do with it just potentially but it is very important to, to to forge your goals at the beginning so what what's what's it you really want to do is it you know you want to increase biodiversity you will have, totally do something totally different 
then if you want to produce um, um, a certain crop um, to a certain commodity market, it will just mm -hmm. look very different, right? And um, so basically, we're, we're trying to um, um, really narrow down um, on the goals and and the thing and prioritize the goals. It's also very important in the later process um, and makes your design process quite quite a lot easier if you have a priority in this. And um, um, yeah, and then then we will actually so this, this goal thing is the first thing we will do. Then we will also look at the site and basically see if the site is fitting to what we're doing. Uh, what I want right. to, want to do. And if that is turns out to not be the case at all, we might change the goals or reprioritize the goals. Um, and this is where you know our view from the outside comes in handy because you know a lot of people also again in agriculture um, might not know so much about um, biodiversity and um, how to to increase that. And and you know there's some things like um, that we know that you could do is, is always connecting um, habitats um, with each other. That is always something that is, is going um, going to increase, um, or not always, but it will quite likely. Um, um, if you do it right, it will increase the biodiversity of a site, and um, you know certain, or we will will have the ability to look at um, certain maps that are made by um, um, people that look for the birds uh, and count the birds um, to see what kind of bird species are there and how could we support the, the population of the bird species that is um, that are already there. Because um, we then know which kind of niches they they need. So um, you know, just depending on on your goal, your the site design will be different. And then the next step is to look what is actually there um, on the basis of the farm. So um, this means what kind of resources do the does the farm have? Um, how how what what kind of machines are on the farm? Um, um, what's the know how of the people? Very important. If they've never pruned a tree in their life, um, you'll definitely have to send them to some kind of training to learn to do that it's very important if you want to deal with trees normally and um you know this this goes on like that so um but through through this process of analyzing uh, analysis um <clears throat> um we're narrowing down our options and that is not a bad thing this is a good thing because that the, the options that will, that will be left over are actually fitting to your goals right yeah. and to to what your um uh, to what you're trying to do. So basically, it's it's like sifting out. Uh, no, is it how you say it? Sifting, yeah. Sifting out. Thank you. Sifting out <laughs> all the the options that are not really fitting. Um, but yeah. this really needs this very thorough analysis and um, and hard look at the farm um, at the beginning. So this is actually a big part of the work that a lot of people don't realize is part of our work. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I... Like, it's funny, you, I mean, you say that and we were talking about giving, like, we should, we should definitely make it clear the sense of time that's involved in this. And I, I mean, yes. I did a 10 week course, you know, for this, mm. for my certification. And of that, really, like, yeah. nine weeks was analysis. Yes. <laughs> and 10 yeah, weeks yeah, sure. was the design, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, and so as just, a, I mean, and you can extrapolate that over any you know any time frame but you know i mean and this is this for me came after years of looking at this site you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like so you know i've been looking at the site for at least two years prior to this thing that i've been working on and then you know i thought i had a pretty good sense of it and but going through those nine weeks of analysis i mean really changed 
mm-hmm. it opened my eyes to like my, you know a whole set of things that I was putting onto the land that might not be the perfect thing or and things that I wasn't incorporating that would probably be do really well there because I you know I, I think and I, I want to put this in the context of of wine because I think this is really fitting for what we're talking about not only because this is a wine podcast but it, it's such a good example so many people come to this idea of of developing a, a site with this desire of like their favorite grape that they want to plant and they want to put a vineyard in and they want to make wine and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and then I think, you know, what I realized is I just had to be open to the idea that mm-hmm. maybe that's not the the most optimal use of the site. And maybe it's not like, yeah. I mean, in this case, I think it, it, there's a great case for growing wine there because there are lots of wild vines growing all over the property. But mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. But in many cases, I think if people do this analysis and slow down and really think mm. about some of these questions that I think we should talk through, mm. it's you might come to the conclusion that a vineyard is a terrible idea in that land that you own, you know, and you should yes. not be planting a vineyard and you might want to think about something else. Um, and, and this is probably if you go through this process prior to buying the land, it could save you a lot of money because you might not buy that land in the first place, you know? Um, so anyway, th- these are just some of the thoughts, but please jump in. You know, we can talk about some of those questions that need to be asked first mm-hmm. and the time that you look at for people. Like what do you tell people in terms of, time and analysis mm. that you want to see from them yeah i was also just thinking um when you said oh this is a nine-week process okay who have we lost here <laughs> right. <laughs> right right <laughs> so don't worry guys uh um, the, um i mean to be fair um, we'll get into that um soon um is i mean you, you were in the process of buying this um uh, what's it 120 acre property or something like that approximately yeah yeah approximately that right so um you know it's quite a large site and um you know it's also the idea of moving there and everything so there's um this is a bit of a different um setting than what we normally have um normally when clients approach us um we look at um of one or two sites um that's the average number some have more sites but that's 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 um less often the case um and we will um let's stay in wine um we'll have sizes from half an hectare to maybe one and a half, and um, this the one with um, at Staffelterhof was six and a half, or, or about seven between six and a half and seven hectares. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the. No, that's fine. Just multiply anybody in in not hectare world. Just it? multiply by two point four seven, and you'll get acres. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, um, <clears throat> uh, so these are not as big as as your site is, right? So um, that's the first thing. Um, well, I should say. The, yes. Of that 120 acres, it probably is only six or seven hectares that are mm. are actually going to be developable. Most of it is, you know, sort of uh, forested, you know, stuff yeah. in in some level of um, final stage su- succession or just a maturing mixed forest or riparian area that I wouldn't want to do anything, yeah. you know, high, high intensity uh, yeah. other than like foraging or you know mushroom farming or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yet still, um, I, I'll still um, stick to my argument because um, <laughs> let, let you go to the uh, site analysis, uh, for example, the water flow analysis, and all these things. Uh, it's right. just a different beast on on fifty hectares than it is um, uh, on on a one hectare. Um, True. 
slope that just you know goes down a certain you know just look at it or you can even see it on google um uh, yeah. earth or something like that it's, it would yeah. be quite obvious but nevertheless um so saying that um the process still takes um some time so most of our projects actually you know take a few months um to realize but um um or to, to go from from the first initial talk to to actually the realization um of the project um but we're not in constant contact all the time of course um you know we have we'll have phases we will have the initial talk then we will go to visit the site and i really highly recommend to anybody um you know that wants to get a consultant on this for me this is an or for us it's non-negotiable we have to see the site it's very different to see a site than to just see it on google even though i just said you can probably see it on, on google maps but we will also do soil soil analysis we will also dig a, um, a soil pit maybe to to see the to see the um soil and its different layers um to understand it better um we will also check the surrounding area of what is growing there because this actually influences um especially the young growth um will influence what we um would suggest to plant um which is something that we can delve into later um because that's a very specific topic but um <clears throat> Just in general, um, um, the the yeah the whole mm, how do I put this <laughs> uh, yeah so this this whole being at the site is, is important and also also, mm. also the personal conversation is is good. I mean we all live through the Corona times of Zoom and all that and this works but and and we will do this later on but um, but I think this initial contact at least for us is very important and um being face to face with the people and and actually also coming up with the first proposal at the first site to, to actually you know narrow down the goals and also um you know come up with some idea of what this might look like um and then we will I will go back home um or to to our office and um I work on the idea and um you know actually challenge the idea so this is what we do a lot um also in our team meetings that we have um other plan um other consultants and planners will actually look at uh, the sites uh that plan that we did and just to get an, another people's look at it that know what we're talking about and they will probably say hey wait did you you know did you do that or that did you think of this and this aspect um maybe this is something to consider um or why not do it this way you know and they come up with a t totally different um ideas sometimes um uh which i will present to our customer again so um um yeah this is this is this is the process unless there will be some time in between that and in that time um uh normally this starts also the process of thinking um for um our clients and sometimes i'll, I'll just get a um, call from them and i say hey well actually you know we we said we wanted this to be the thing but i remember you said um you know um it would actually be nice to 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 also bring a hedge in because this would really um you know stop the cold um winds from the from the from the slope coming down on our site and I know I said I don't want this at the beginning, but now I thought about this. And yes, we actually have problems with frost, frost issues at the top or something. You know that they will. You know this whole process will start um, in, in 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 the minds of our customers, and this is great. So we normally come up. You know this will be an ongoing discussion. Um, um, you know for for quite a few weeks until we have the final plan. You know. So this um, and this is really great. It's a thing that our customers mostly really enjoy. Um, also, you know, and it's something yeah. you know. And once we'll feel comfortable and, and set um, with it, we will you know 
start looking for the plants, uh, where to buy them and um, set the dates for when to plant it and everything. That's the next steps then. But, um, you know, we had actually my first winemaker that I did a project with, um, um, we actually had to postpone the um, planting for one year um, <clears throat> um, of his of his um, site because he was he, um, he, he was just saying hey it's too I, I'm too busy for this year I can't I won't start planting this season because I've, I've actually just planted young vines and I just don't feel comfortable of taking care of more um, trees which by the way is the best thing to say um, for me I'm, I'm happy to, when people don't want to plant sounds weird um, but um, I'm, I'm, I'd rather you have the time um, to take care of the plants and uh, take, you know have the time to water them and, and actually enjoy them um, than to actually run after these projects and, and not really um, have the time or the, the money or whatever to, to really um, take care of the plants because that is really vital for, uh, for the success of your project so um, yeah. you know I was happy that he decided to do that and we actually did some small minor changes in in the design um, um, over the course of that year. So we were still in contact, and he was saying, "Hey, couldn't we, you know, take this and this tree species? I, I actually really like these. Couldn't we also plant these?" And that's what happened. So um, this process is really an ongoing thing for a long time, um, but um, it doesn't mean you need to be nine weeks of focus on on this and just this i think this is you know this is your educa educational path that you took which is great and i also um suggest to anybody who, who really wants to delve into their own project that this is probably really the smartest way to do it and, and the, the best because you will immerse yourself really deeply into your site and, and project um but if you don't have the time or you don't you know not the resources to do that then then the next step would definitely be, be to get somebody who does this on a professional level yeah and and I, I mean, again, it, it, there's probably it's probably worth saying it depends how much time you've spent on that land already. Like if it's land mm. that you know has been in your family, mm. or that you've you know you've had and lived there for over a year, yes. you're, you know it's very different than hey, I want to I want to build a vineyard and I'm gonna I'm thinking about buying this land, um, mm. mm -hmm. you know, because you have no history there. You don't know what the seasons bring. You don't you know like there's I think I think it's it's probably wise to say to anybody who's wants to develop a farm that you should probably live on the land for a whole year. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I mean that might be asking too much, but it's mm. you know it, to me there's something about seeing who's already there. You know, like th this is the thing that I've yeah. seen more than mm -hmm. anything that has really slowed me down with this land is I. You, I have seen foxes i've seen you know i almost stepped on a wild turkey nest you know <laughs> wow. um, i haven't seen i've seen signs of bear the neighbors have seen the bears i've seen lots of deer mm. and i've started to see how they interact with the land how i mean their land i mean how they move in this home of theirs and and everything else you know so i'm beginning to understand that i'm moving into somebody else's home and yeah. you know well, that i, I did you look to, at it like that yes <laughs> yeah and i need to you know be conscious of that you know like and and act with the respect that i would if i moved into anybody else's home you know and just be very very respectful and very uh you know communicative communicative of them with my intentions and needs i mean this, mm -hmm. some of this is metaphor of course because i can't speak to them but hmm. um not with human language anyway no, but uh yeah the, this is and then you know seeing multiple seasons and how 
specifically in this context, I mean, I, I will be continually talking from this context, but I mean, I think it applies anywhere. It's, you know, the variation that we're now seeing is something that applies in climate, in weather, is something that applies very much to this site as well, where there will be, mm. yes. there's been an incredibly wet season the mm. first year. There was an incredibly dry season the second year that I've been, mm. you know, looking at this land. Um, the winters have gone from heavy heavy precipitation and extreme cold to mild and very little precipitation and so you know all of that has started to be part of the plan for developing the site which you know mm. sort of like designing for anything <laughs> at this point you know it's like really thinking about how much variation has to be accounted for and and because of that at the center of this development site you know i want to I'm setting aside, I mean, my plan is to set aside an acre uh, for for breeding, uh, a mm. breeding nursery for the plant, like some of the perennial plants that I hope mm. to continually develop um, throughout the life of the site is uh, to, con you know, just think about adaptation and mm. evolution as an ongoing process that's embedded at the heart of this farm. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I, all that to say, the time that you've spent on the land can short, you know, if you've spent a good bit of time on the land and know these things about mm. the land can shorten that, that process significantly. Mm. Yes. But if you're coming from the outside, um, mm. take your time, you know, and what, what are some of the, Indeed, yeah. what, what are, when you look, when you, cause you mentioned water analysis, can you sort of talk about some of the specific things that mm -hmm. people, sh you know, that you would get people to look at? Like, what are the, you know, do you have a checklist of, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you know what, however you approach that but what are beyond well i mean and if you want to dig into water analysis too what that means but and and what other things do you look mm -hmm. at in your analysis yeah well i mean um this really you know this question really fits to what you've said before this, this the aspect of time is is absolutely vital of course i mean we don't when we come to our clients we don't we don't there's no way i can spend um even though i'd love to spend um, at some places, um, um, uh, definitely a year um, it would be nice, but um, that's not viable anyway. I'm, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can train what to look for. I, I, let's let's put it that way, and, um, and right. that's, I think that's what we also um, do. So, um, um, and then of course there's there's knowledge by other people, and I think that's something you can also always um, ask for, and and you know um, talk to the people. And um, I, I just mm. had this brief moment of uh, remembering. Um, uh, talking to Gerd, which is uh, who's who's Jan's um, um, dad from Jan from Staffelterhof, um, the guys we, we did the yeah. other interview with, with, and he's just very um, he's totally into trees and uh, and into the whole idea, and that's, this has been really great. And he was pointing out all this knowledge. I mean, he's he's been living there since he's a kid, um, and he's got these I don't know seventy plus years now. Um, um, you know, of, of uh, I think he's seventy. Oh God. <laughs> um, anyway, um, <laughs> not, let's not focus on the age. Um, but um, uh, yeah, uh, he's he's just lived his whole life there, and he really knows where where certain tree species have worked and where not. And I said, this is just brilliant knowledge, you know, and things he was really, yeah. you know, coming just from himself. He was just, you know, offering all this this knowledge, which is great. So just you know, careful observation, right? Exactly, and you know, talk yeah. to the people. And as I said, with, and and I think um, before we go to the water topic, which is um, quite a good good thing to look at, um, 
uh, um, the whole uh, thing that we struggle with is is climate change, of course, um, that we all know, um, and it really affects um, tree species selection. And um, uh, um, one of the strategies that we use to to see what could possibly grow here in future, because let's let's face it, let's face it, the reality is that the climate change is, uh, sh the climate is shifting so drastically that a lot of the tree species that you have on one side will actually not be fitting to that side um, mm. in a couple of years, or if, if they're not already dying. So there's some regions where we are, here in Germany at least, where we're losing um, the, the main climax tree species that was there. Um, they're just suffering, they're getting sick, they're, they're, they're dying, and it's, um, it's quite dramatic. Um, so um, these are things we have to know about, and it's, a, it's, it's quite hard to, to determine um, what kind of tree species will grow there. There's some data. There's quite a few projects and and and, and work being done in, on the, on this topic, but there's no guarantee. This you know the trees that when we plant them there that they know that they will survive there. You know it's um there's theory and practice again. So right. Um, but looking at what is coming up is actually quite often quite aligned with the, what this data is showing. So when I say what is coming up is actually the the young growth. Um, that's maybe up to ten years old or maybe a tad older or so. But um, yeah, and especially for winemakers, we have to realize that the climate change. Um, so it's, it's it's been interesting to me in my journey um, from studying and going into our consultancy work is that the wine there's no wine. I've, I've, well, there's probably winemakers that say there's no climate change, but for me, I didn't come across them yet personally, um, and it's quite mar marvelous because with with um, with farmers, at least on when I give talks or seminars. Um, I come into contact with farmers that just think there's no climate change or that, that it's not affecting them at least. Um, so and this is very different. So I think since the 80s, there's hardly any um, winemakers in Germany that don't think there's that there's climate change. And that is because wine growing <laughs> right. regions are just more heavily effect, um, affected by, um, by um, climate change and have been much earlier affected by climate change. So... Yeah. Um, you know, and this also means for tree species selection that it's really good to look what what's been the growth, what's been actually what is looking happy, you know, and vital, and not you know is living but mm, doesn't really look that great. Um, these are the things that we kind of scan the landscape for, and that's why it's also so important to come to a site and see it um, and see what is around the site. It's not just to look at the site isolated, but also you know see it um, go around and. And see, um, you know, just from from all these different aspects, from seeing how could I, you know, increase biodiversity here? How could I, um, you know, get a wind shelter onto this, um, um, or um, some kind of windbreak if I, if you experience strong winds on that side, for example. Um, you know, there's all these aspects you can really look out for when you're on a site. Um, it's, you know, I mean, and and I I want to underline the importance of the analysis that you're talking about that goes into this, I just was listening to a great conversation where, you know, they were talking mm -hmm. about, I mean, essentially anything you plant introduces like a hundred thousand new variables into an ecosystem, you know, <laughs> and a tree, especially like a tree when it grows, I mean, it's going to change the hydrology, the wind movement. It's going to change mm -hmm. the food sources, the microbial relationships. It's going to change so much about it with just one tree let alone like a whole mm. vineyard or a whole bit of forestry thing like mm. these decisions to plant you know impact in all these ways that we're completely unaware of most of the time and 
you know, again, underlines the importance of slowing down um, mm-hmm. and thinking really carefully and really mm-hmm. analytically about everything that's going on on a site before taking action. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I also, you know, I, this, this idea, it, it, everything you were saying was just bringing me back to this idea of like, we, we, we use these words like trees and vines as if they are um, individual organisms. And yet when we go into nature, we never see them as an individual organism. They are, you know, a, a series of relationships that extend mm-hmm. outward indefinitely, you know, that connect to everything on planet earth mm-hmm. and, and often are, you know, just housing, you know, thousands of different <laughs> lives within mm-hmm. that one word, a uh, tree or vine, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it's really, you know, I just, that's a really important thing to think about. I think when, when slowing down and thinking about what you're going to put in there and you know, the other thing, and, and I would love to know mm-hmm. like what kind of, uh, steps you take in terms of deciding what to plant if there are you know if you have questions that you are asking you that we should be asking before doing that but mm. also do you does the does the idea of assisted migration ever come into play and, and if you if you've heard of that and i'm sure you have but if you want to talk about that mm-hmm. mm, okay there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. still, in my mind i was still thinking about the water <laughs> oh, we had keep going before. keep going yeah, yeah. Yes, go back um, to the I mean, water we'll come back to that <laughs> I can touch on all of these things, surely. Um, well, the water analysis just really depends on the size of your land. And I think uh, what you did um, is uh, in, your, um, in your analysis um, with this, this about 120 um, acres, you know, is, is absolutely fitting because um, you actually have quite a bit of slopes that run into each other. And, um, you know, we have quite a bit of water movement probably happening there when there's yeah. strong rainfalls. But yeah. for a site that might just be a one hectare site and might be even f- quite flat. There's hardly right. any water movement probably coming up. So, you know, the, the, the importance of a certain aspect to analyze, uh, to, to analyze it actually um, goes up and down with the size of the, uh, the site, but also how it's, you know, um, you know, how it's sloped or, um, you know, the ex- exposition and everything. So um, there's no, no really great um you know answer of how much time you should be doing with that it's just you know just kind of take some common sense and how to how to and to also think about how much is it really going to change anything if if this one hectare is you know done really differently will it really affect the water cycle that dramatically that it's going to really have a bigger impact that is also and let's let's keep that in mind economically um 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 showing you know so um this will be different for on a fifty hectare, uh, um, sorry, one hundred and seventy acre site than on a um, site that is just two point five acres big. Um, it, it's it's just going to show differently if you do um, things like key line design or um, stuff like that to actually um, really um, have an um, an impact on 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 the site. So um, this doesn't mean you cannot you shouldn't do it on on two point five hec- acres. It's just the the outcome might be different. Um, and also the compromises that you will have to do maybe um, might be different. So, um, and sadly, um, sites, for example, just to go to, to um, the topic of biodiversity quickly, um, sadly, sites that are, you know, flat and in the middle of a um, arable, you know, desert, um, there's not much to, to give to nature, really. It's, it's, it's really sad, but if you're in a, you know, basically you're trying to get this, oasis going inside of the desert that is great i'm I'm, I'm applauding everybody who does that but um 
um, for really to also have this oasis grow and have actually species in there, you need the connection to other um, kinds of habitats. And um, uh, so the analysis of that site on a biodiversity level is also going to be really low, just trying to make the point of um, how much analysis you can put into some kind of site. It just really depends on, yeah, what the site is and where it is and, um, you know, what's around the site, what's happening around. It's never isolated. Um, so, um, you know, there's, um, and it's basically it just takes this kind of common sense of how much, you know, can I actually achieve also with changing the site to a certain level. Um, well, I yeah. love your idea of, of <laughs> relying on, on the elders in the landscape you know, who have this knowledge from years of observation. Uh, do you have any other tricks like that that people can rely on of like, you know, not a trick, but, you know, like just a really smart or wise course of action to take when, you know, when, because, I mean, I was going to joke when you started saying it doesn't always have to take as long as I take, but I, I my joke is going to be, but I'm a little slower than most people. So like, I just, I just I wasn't take saying that. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, I do like, I, you know, I'm, I, I have to be honest. Like I, you know, I, especially this place in New York, it's like, I, yes, I grew up in the East coast and I have, I spent a lot of time outdoors, but I wasn't thinking and I didn't have the sense of that. I was like accumulating ecological knowledge and I think I've lost mm. a lot of it. And I've, you know, I've lived in a, in an urban center and on the, in a mm. totally different context on the West coast for, mm. for years, for half my life. And so I know that I'm at a lack in terms of understanding and ecological knowledge of that context. Mm -hmm. And I want to, take my time and really be careful mm. to to you know that i am doing that that i am yeah. beginning to understand it and and so i you know i'm probably giving myself more time than somebody who who is a little more advanced in their knowledge mm. um but but i mean is there a other are there other mm. you know ideas that you use like that or things that mm. you've come across where you have these resources that you can draw on um mm -hmm. you know yeah. when you are not when you lack that ecological knowledge of a site Mm, yes, yes. I, I understand what you mean. Um, yeah, well, um, of course, there's professionals about these things. Um, um, I so, mean, you, yeah, that's when um, people come to you, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, we work in um, a lot of different parts of Germany, actually, we're also in different parts of Europe. Um, and, you know, there's landscapes I've, I've never been to, and I would never say mm. I'm, I'm an expert on it. So this is also where we also say, hey, our job is to to point out things and 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 if we miss some kind of data then it's also our job to tell our clients um and to get that and we of course for most parts of germany and um, we know where to get the data from so um this is something um you know if you're working with a um somebody um, as a consultant you should also or she should also be um able to um to tell you where to find um, information and of course with biodiversity um measures there's a lot of people that are really specialized in this and um, um, at least here there's a lot of um, also open data provided by the government um, on um, uh, on on where there's um, certain bird species but that have been seen there um, um, there's like there's even some some websites um, um, in Germany it's called ornito which is the um, um, ornithologist the just a short form of that where hobby or um, ornithologists can actually put in the birds that they've yeah. seen. Um, so this is really helpful data. Um, and, you know, just look around in your place um, who, who could know a thing or two about these things. And, you know, you could also um, talk to the people that tend to the forest and, you know, ask them about what's, what's been 
I mean, don't expect yourself to be able to see certain damages on a tree if you if you're not really um, you know familiar with trees. And um, don't want to be rude, but you know some things are quite small, and 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 some damage by fungus just shows years later, but maybe has a um, just um, shows at the first spot um, sign as a decoloration on the bark that you know if, um, um, you, you would m- maybe be able to see um, um, as somebody without the professional background. So um, you know, always get help, ask people, and, and and my experience is that they're normally really glad, um, you know, to be integrated into a process like that. And from our, our role is is to actually you know also talk to these people and get in the info and uh, data on on these things. And um, considering things like climate data, there's is quite quite good um, you know open source data on 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 um, on weather patterns and all those kind of things. So it's it, it just Sometimes it's just a few Google um, um, searches away, um, these kind of questions. Um, <clears throat> but this is really well. If you want to do these things yourself, um, these permaculture design courses really help, um, I believe, because um, you get a lot of these resources or, yeah. or probably any kind of agroforestry training um, um, is probably going to be helpful for that also. Um, and, you know, your consultant should know these things and you can, should be able to ask him, um, where do I get information on on um, what what ecological worth my um, my pastures have, for example, you know they should be able to tell you. Yeah, right. So, mm-hmm. in terms of, um, I mean, we've been talking uh, about water, about mm-hmm. you know the the plants and things like that. Are to what extent? I mean, I I bring this up because you know going back to this design process that I went through, um, one of the first things was the people. Uh, who are involved with the land, you know, not only myself, but anybody else that's involved in that, but also Mm -hmm. then the history of people in that land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought that was such an interesting Mm. uh, question to ask. I mean, both that and water were things that actually changed, you know, looking at those more closely changed, like what my ultimate plans were for Mm. this land entirely. So I, you know, I have a, a whole different perspective on mm-hmm. what I want to do um, with that land because of s- stopping to ask these questions. But yeah, I mean, do you do you look at that at all in, in what you're doing? I mean, I know it's like you know you have different objectives, but it, mm-hmm. in specific in specifically the consulting that you do. But I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Definitely, um, especially the people um, that we work with directly. Um, I always try to figure out the farm co- or winery constellation, like um, just who is working there um, and um, what are their interests and what are their, you know, and, and sometimes it's this conversation that we have um, and, you know, that we're getting back to this topic of goals and these goals can be very personal also to the people. And um, just as a as a very obvious example, but I think it just gets the point over across quite well, um, is is you know we might have the best site for growing walnuts, but if the grower is allergic to walnuts, we'll never plant it. It, it just it, it's just not fitting. And <laughs> it's, it's a so great stupid, example, but it's it just makes right. So um, yeah. and the reason could be whatever reason really, um, not just allergies. Maybe he just doesn't like it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, uh, yeah. So um, th- these are the things that we really try to hone in on, on and especially in the. Uh, um, in the conversations that we have with our um, clients is to really understand 
what's their goal and um this is really important for you as as somebody's listening and thinking about these things is hey wh- why 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 am i interested in this you know why do i want to do this um you know these are good questions to ask yourself before you know mm-hmm. contacting the, the um the consultant to really get this um process in um with uh, this this you know get this talk on um you know and um yeah so uh, um this is really good the history um yeah of course it's um that is very important in um for our work um i know with you um and your side this is very important because of the um um the indigenous people that have lived on your sites um i read about this in your um yeah in, in your design site um so we this is very special i think to the us maybe um, yeah, yeah, but a few other places, but yeah, definitely here. Yes, sure. yes, um, yes, absolutely. And this, this is great. I'm, I, I appreciate that you do that um, and look at this. But for us in Germany, we don't have it to that um, extent in that sense. But what we right. have is, is of course, have grown a very old heritage and grown culture around winemaking um, in a certain way and style, which is also for you as a consultant or as you as a winemaker to reflect on and say hey is this um you know uh, how um you know I, I i can't just ignore that because of course with planting trees we're doing something completely different and and i think the um a lot of people get offended by these things you know so this is also something to keep in mind but also again with climate change our styles of wine here in germany are um, you know well known and um but they're changing with climate change. You know, the, the the fruit ripeness is going up, the alcohol content, the sugars are going up, so the alcohol content is going up. So the style of wine that we're used to and know um, from Europe is really will change quite drastically in the, or ha- already has begun to change quite dras- drastically in most wine-growing regions. And yeah. um, um, so um, this is something to keep in mind Um to understand the history and also understand the wine style that you're working with and if the goal for a winemaker which is i think something we can actually achieve with vitiforestry projects is to to keep the style of wine that the region is known for um then this is something that we can really um um work on with um the with planting trees because the shade of course um will um, reduce the um the effects of climate change or creative uh, different microclimate that is maybe more fitting to the climate that we had 40 years ago you know so yeah. um <clears throat> so in times before the effects of climate change have really shown and i think that is um you know there's some that's a way to also think about history and also the cultural aspect that you're working in so um um you know it's of course it's easy to say oh well you know Germany has been famous for its white wines, but now we can grow, finally, we can grow Pinot Noir properly, you know. That's a way to approach it. Of course, you can just go to Pinot Noir. Okay, great. But what's with all the heritage and culture that we have um, here? Don't we want to keep that to some degree? And um, I think that is the way to also look at it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, along that historical thing, it's it's interesting how... Sorry, I, I think before I get a lot of hate on this, uh, there's great Pinot Noir that's been here forever, and there's great <laughs> Pinot Noir growing at the moment. Um, sorry, otherwise I'll just get, I'll never be able to show my face anywhere. Um, just, just, just say, <laughs> take any, let's take Grenache or something that is not very common. I don't know. <laughs> well, we, I mean, you know, 
I, of course, think you should just be growing peewees, but that's just me, you know. <laughs> we should grow. Oh, I, I am a big fan of Riesling. I'm sorry. I, I love the peewees uh, and I'm grateful that there are so much of them now. And I've drank yes, really yeah. great peewee wines. And I think there's the whole discussion that you cannot make good wines out of peewees is, um, I think, nonsense. But that's yeah. a different talk. Let's see. Yeah, let's focus yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so I, in looking at the historic the historical context, you know, it's, yeah. it's also f for me, I, I, one of the crucial, um, and important elements to looking at the history of the agriculture or the use of a land in, in your context is over, you know, if it was, if it was being used in any way like that 200 years ago, hmm. it was being done without the benefit of fossil fuels. And you can mm -hmm. look back to see what that was like like how did you manage an entire farm an entire community you know an agricultural community without fossil fuels and i think there's incredibly valuable lessons to be learned from that oh, yes. uh, looking now because i think you know we're, we're past peak oil at this point we're mm -hmm. in a point where even if we had unlimited amounts of uh, of fossil fuels to burn we realize it's not a good thing to do and we should stop doing it and so designing with that in mind um is i think a really wise idea for many reasons mm -hmm. uh, even you know the least of which is just not polluting your world and and or the best of which maybe but then you you know going back to these historical things it's like oh people figured out how to do this for i mean this is how we farmed you know prior to mm -hmm. this century last century so I, I, I mean, I'm reading a book um, that's like a fiction book, but sort of based on a, a, the history, a history of like the 18, 1800 farmers um, in New York right now. <laughs> and, yeah, and then luckily it goes into detail about, you know, what they're wearing and where their clothes came from, which is like sheep. And, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's just amazing to, to see it. I mean, it's, you know, going about stuff, it's like, it's revelatory to us now. Uh, even though mm -hmm. it, yes. you know it's okay. it's anyway it's mm. already informing like the ways that I'm I'm thinking even further and more deeply than what I was thinking um, with this land. <clears throat> I'd like to add something because I mean, of course, um, the whole vitiforestry and I think how you are also um, inspired um, by is, is actually historical agroforestry system, vitiforestry systems. Right. Um, yeah. So um, I mean, this is something we always have. I I was put an emphasis on when we give talks is this whole agroforestry thing is not a new thing and it's right. the same for vitiforestry right so it's actually where yeah. our at least in in central europe and um, where our um it's a renaissance um, yes it's a re renaissance and it's actually um through or from agri um, agroforestry systems our modern agriculture has evolved it's actually been, right. been there before and um it's been the predominant form of farming and and or land use i should say um uh before um the modern style of agriculture that's like that is now bracing our world is actually really young we, and i think we always forget this 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 style of open landscapes with um barren uh, or, or no not barren land but um open soil and you know all that um the chemical use and all that stuff that is not that old it's actually you know really started taking on after the second world war and right. um, unfortunately there's also a connection to that but um yeah. but you know it's it's 
yeah, we, um, beforehand, um, agriculture, the face of agriculture was very different. And, um, and I think that is also why these, these books um, and things that inform us about the past um, forms of land use can be really helpful. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. we're, we're, de- we're deviating a bit of the <laughs> um, questions here. But I'm No, but it's, I mean, you, in a way, you, you're pulling me back into this idea of really what, you know, my design site, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the seed that germinated into a much bigger thing for me was this idea of, of a bit of forestry project mm-hmm. um, that was reviving, you know, these old ideas in, mm-hmm. in a modern way with, with our modern understanding and, and a, and a well-designed system for not only productivity, but for, you know, beauty and this mm-hmm. creating a sense of wonder. So I, you know, I want to recreate a, wine forest uh, or, or recreate a forest atmosphere with mm-hmm. a, a bit of forestry system so it's like you, you sort of there's an overstory and an understory and you can mm-hmm. walk amongst those in that inside that and be enveloped in it be immersed in it and mm-hmm. have the same sense that you feel when you're you know taking a walk in a beautiful forest kind of thing mm-hmm. but meanwhile you could reach up and pick grapes if you wanted to yeah, um, and and so but in you know that was the germ for me that i mean the germ the seed <laughs> the germ the germ i don't know why i'm thinking um, that, <laughs> that germinated um yes. into this much bigger thing and and i realized and and now you know i realized i'm i've de-emphasized that in the design i mean it's definitely still the the main use of the acreage the hectares is is to these is to some form of trees and vines and understory crops and grazing and things like that you know this sort of polyculture that is about a wine forest but then i realized i there's so much else going on that land that i needed to incorporate a lot of different ideas you know a lot of different things to try or at least try to you know i mean maybe i'm making a mistake by doing that maybe i'm biting off more than i should maybe i should focus you know you know maybe a successful farm really has like you know a focus on two or three products rather than 20 uh, but <laughs> but I, I i'm also trying to not sacrifice diversity mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the pursuit of this vision for a, a wine forest and mm-hmm. i i don't know if you have a sense of like that those compromises or those that interplay between you know biodiversity and then what's actually economically viable on a farm but but you know if you were advising me what, what i'd love to hear your thoughts oh yes well <clears throat> that's i mean that's a perfect question um i really like that um and i think this really brings us to a thing because we talked about the historical land use is is to understand what has actually changed um from 100 years ago to farming to today and today we are producing crops to sell and um at a much larger scale you might you know now on your farm want to produce some food also you know maybe you the, the sheep you want you know, you, you want to keep that um you'll you'll have some of the meat of them um for yourselves um but the whole um but traditional agriculture used to be about self-sufficiency right and this is the major thing that changed and um with this um the, the room for complex um, um, um systems has also changed because it's um we know from science that um very heavily layered 
agroforestry systems are more productive per square meter or um, you know or per acre um, but they come with the compromise of rationality and and being able to move with a machine through this thing and be able to quickly harvest um, um, right. um, um, your grapes so I mean you will probably not be able to machine harvest your grapes you probably don't want that to happen but you know just right. saying that you're know, just making it clear yeah. this is yeah yeah uh, and that is the thing if we try to design vitiforestry or any kind of agroforestry systems um it's important to think about this that they shouldn't and it sounds weird but the world has changed this style of market and, and form of agriculture and bravo if you can go out of this in some way and have the means to you know get some kind of niche going but this is probably not the case for most um, winemakers or wine growers. Um, so, um, you know, implementing the trees in a way that they're beneficial, but not in the way of machines is, is something that we look at quite a lot. Um, and there's no one solution that fits all because we have a very different forms of trellising systems. And, you know, and um, if you're on... Um, you know planting with contour or against contour you know makes different machine usage um possible or if there's a lot of hand labor you'll be able to you know do much more what what you have come up in your designs than um you would if you want to have a big you know tractor that can efficiently do all the work that you um that you normally do in, in a wine um growing area so um that, that's just something to keep in mind um as, yeah. as, as soon as we increase um, biodiversity um, with trees, if, um, especially, or with shrubs, um, and to some degrees also with um, aspects like if we want to have some kind of flower strip or something. This means we will have to move differently and be, um, um, and 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 work differently in 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 uh, in, in, in the land. And <clears throat> I uh, cannot stress this enough that it is important to to understand how how much am I willing to to um, change my form of agriculture that I'm, I mean, you're start, on your side, you'll be starting from scratch. It's very different. But um, yeah. if you're having an existing farm, you have the existing machines, you will not go, you're quite likely not to sell everything and, you know, go do everything by hand now. Um, yeah. uh, it's probably not going to be economically viable, unfortunately. But um, so this is just something to consider. And I think there's this fine line of, you know, making sure that there's, um, um, you know that you're still able to do your work the way you do it, um, you've, or, and you've always done it, or the, in the way that you want to do it in future, um, and and increasing biodiversity and also bringing in tree species. Um, uh, but yeah, especially in wine, it's actually not as much as a compromise um, as it is um, quite often in comparison to um, to arable land or um, um, or meadows, for example. Um, you just lose a bit more of the land um, because you can't really farm it there. You have this like, kind of strip that you lose um, around the trees, at least in in alley cropping systems, and um, uh, so that you know you lose a bit of land where you can actually produce crops because it's basically the land reserved to your trees and shrubs um, growing there. Um, and this is not so much the case in in, in vineyards. Um, so this is that's a great thing about this, and um, depending on where you are in, in, in the world, um, you might also not be that heavily dependent on machinery um, or, or not using machinery because it's just you're on a really steep slope. And like at the Mosul Valley, for example, we there's not the same big tractors and machines driving through the vineyards because just because of the slopes. 
Um, <clears throat> so um, they, they're very limited, and, and with that, we can in, in, um, implement trees in a different way than on a um, on a flat site for, um, where you can you know take all the big machines um, as you want. And I'm not bashing on big machines here. This is yeah. do, what you're doing is just trying to make the point, bring the point point over. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think about this a lot, which is, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about efficiency and like, you know, what, yes. what we lose by focusing on efficiency, you know, what we're, what we, mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard yeah. somebody say like, you know, efficiency always brutalizes something. Um, yeah, was, well, yeah. Like I heard recently and just not that, not that I don't think efficiently and don't think you should, you shouldn't think of, you know, mm-hmm. about like kind of efficient efficiency in, in mm-hmm. your processes, but also to think about like what do you what is the compromise that you're making mm. by streamlining something mm-hmm. um and 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 i think for me it's like i also i think a lot more on the other side because i i am planning a, an inefficient system <laughs> intentionally mm-hmm. because i'm i'm i want the i i want the primary goal to be beauty and wonder um mm-hmm. and the secondary goal to be productivity mm-hmm. and therefore you know, I mean, and this is in a space where there isn't like a huge population. So I know like I'm thinking of all hand labor and yet I I don't have answers to where that hand labor is going to come from other than myself, you know, and that means a lot of work for me. Um, and, and then, so what does that mean? Like where, where am, how am I going to make this system work in the absence of, you know, that, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have like 12 mm-hmm. kids that I can labor employ as my, <laughs> as my <laughs> children in the farm, uh, the way things might have been done at one time in history. But I, you know, so it's, these are the things. And, and on top of even just that, like, even if I had that labor, where are the markets for these, all these diverse things that I want to do? You know, where, yeah. where, yeah like i mean where are the where are the processing plants for my nut crops you know Um, where's the processing gonna happen for the wool that i want to produce you know to make Mm -hmm. clothing that i mean do i take all of that on myself and if so you know i need you know 36 hours in a day um, rather than 24 to be able to to be able to manage all this stuff and and be self-sustaining in a in a like in this closed loop system which i think is silly and so then i start thinking about community and there are some fun things happening mm-hmm. you know where i think this is where co-ops are coming into play where people are, are you know setting up these nut processing facilities at, as a co-op so that you know anybody can come in and use the facility or setting up a a, a wool uh, processing mm-hmm. facility as a co-op um but yeah these are these are some of the big questions that i think mm-hmm. i've considered and and you know i, I even there's a great great episode of another podcast that i was listening to talking about why it's so difficult to get a, a farmer like you were saying who's maybe got like this huge farm that's all like corn and soy mm-hmm. and of course we know that this is degrading the landscape these monocultures mm-hmm. are not great for it but to get somebody to shift out of that you if you live in the midwest of the united states and you're growing yeah. corn and soy there is no like to even if you just tried to take a hundred acres out of mm-hmm. corn and mm-hmm. soy production to do something different that that is just sets off a set of dominoes that basically could bankrupt you, you know, because you now have to think about labor for something that might be like, let's say you want to do tomatoes. Well, you need a lot of hand labor for those tomatoes and that hand labor might not be around there. And then you'd need a place to house them and you need a place to like, you know, and more 
wages to pay for them. Um, and you, and then you need a place to sell that you'd need markets and processing for all the, for those tomatoes, you know, and, and whatever the crop is, you know, there's going to be some consequence to just even pulling a small amount out of like mm. 5,000 acres and putting it into something else mm. initiates all of these other needs that your, your entire community is not set up for and you have to yeah. build from scratch. Um, so it's, you know, thinking about systems on, on that level is, is I, I think really, you know, mm. starts to, when you start looking at the bigger picture also, when you analyze these things, it's really interesting. Well, yeah. And I mean, you're touching on a very crucial point of, um, of centralized, um, commodity markets, right? So, I mean, this is yeah. this and this landscape, um, especially in the Midwest, which, um, I've never seen myself just heard of, but or seen in documentaries is um yeah i mean that's the the result of this kind of of these kind of markets so i think we're also um we really have to realize that these commodity markets um are you know this landscape is com connected to this kind of form of 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 economics also in the sense of um that we want this kind this is politically wanted you know these kind of markets so um you're, you're raising big questions in that point and you know, in the US, freedom is always a big topic. Um, you know, we, we hear about this all over the media. I'm also here. Um, and basically, I think your freedom is robbed of you um, to not be able to just dive out of that uh, to some degree. I mean, you're welcome to do it, but you don't have the same um, freedom to do it and, or other opportunities to do it, um, you know, in these kind of um, areas um, because everything yeah. is so focused and specialized on on these markets so yeah again it's uh you know it's, but that's a, maybe a very different uh topic to talk about is the whole agriculture agricultural agricultural politics and economics yeah. and, and the markets but um yeah that's the real world we live in it looks like yes yeah. and um we have to find ways of, of dealing with it and um um that is not easy and that's why we are also mostly with our clients um you know the vineyards normally look quite the same as they've looked before but in some smart hopefully smart way <laughs> um, we've integrated some trees and um have done it in a way that is actually still fitting to that farm and i think this is a very important aspect and i sometimes see that being lost in in um some for you know if you look at colleagues making some designs or something these this is not um thought um thought for and that's why suddenly the labor that is um that is happening on that farm is increased quite a lot um because you know suddenly it's not that rational to, to work on that um or easily um, effectively done um just, just not you know you, you might not be able to drive through you know half of the lanes anymore because something's growing in the midst of the lanes of the vineyard that maybe is not the right way to incorporate um the trees um um, um on that site you know or on that farm but it might be okay and fitting to to um, a more hand labor-based um farm so you know not, again one size doesn't fit all um with with um regards to where plant trees in the vineyard um <clears throat> but yeah if you look at most of our designs they're quite you know they're not that spectacular i'd say you know they're not the fancy pretty designs that you see um coming um out of a um um you know out, out of some permaculture design courses and that's that's a shame i'd love to do more of that but at the same time you know i'm really happy that i feel confident that the clients this will work for them in, in the situation that they're in 
and probably in the long term are still going to be in because I don't think these markets and the way we make wine um, will change that drastically in the next um, um, years. Um, so yeah, um, well, this is you know trying to be realistic and pragmatic about um, that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's. I mean, it's similar to my design site. I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking about the mm -hmm. the lead up to <laughs> to yes. to the actual project and, which is great i mean i think emphasizing that um, is mm -hmm. is really important and and like i said i really hope people do come to this any analysis that they're doing with the potential that maybe their goal for that land won't work and they should be open mm -hmm. to it and not yes. try to force it into mm -hmm. that land with you know extractive irrigation and mm -hmm. chemical sprays to make something possible that otherwise wouldn't be possible there mm -hmm. yes. um yeah. but let's let's say let's we've we've gone through this and i i mean i'd love to if you're open to it dig into yeah. some of the projects specifics that you found specifically with vita forestry like mm -hmm. what what are you finding is working what are you finding mm -hmm. um you know what? Do you, like what? What have you done? And what? A, what kind of? I don't. I, I. I'm trying to think of like a better way, a more, a less general way to ask <laughs> this question. If you have a, if you have something you want to specifically talk about. I mean, I. I would. You know, I. We started talking beforehand about just some of the specifics that I'm running up against in terms of pruning and training yeah, vines and trees. And and mm -hmm. the, once you dig into the specifics of this, it gets really tricky. And there are. Yeah we you know i run into the run into the fact that there are just there aren't answers to a lot of the questions and i'm yeah, going to be the one asking them for the first time and you know since uh you know pre-modern times yeah. and or you know those of us who are doing it will be asking them for the first time and so there's a there's yeah. a risk to the things that we're doing because they we don't know the answers to the questions we're not taking actions with mm -hmm. with any kind of certainty we're we're taking actions to to discover um, and so I, I'm just wondering if if you have some thoughts of, that you'd like to explore or that you have explored and have some hmm. you know good findings about. Yeah, well, let's let's meet again in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of our sites aren't that old, um, right? I'm right. afraid. So um, yeah, that, that's. I mean, I to be honest, I'm, I wish I could have more answers to this, and I'll probably look, be looking at my own pension at that time. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, um, no, but what do you decide? I mean, we, there's some knowledge, of course, um, and there's some things that we know will work. And um, why do you why do you want to do agroforestry? I mean, what is why is it important to you to start thinking that way uh -huh. on farm landscapes? Hmm. Okay, for um, mm -hmm. I don't know where to start. <laughs> there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, you know, I've just in in, in that's a very personal experience that I had, um, which is maybe a bit cheesy. Um, so, um, but yeah, after my um, high school time uh, or German equivalent to high school, I, I went traveling um, to um, Australia and after that um, for some time to New Zealand. And that's actually these two countries is where I got into touch with um, agriculture. And um, in Australia, for the most part, I really got into um, to touch with the really awful parts of it you know the very conventional mm. very large scale lots of spraying all that kind of stuff but at the same time i kind of enjoyed working in you know working with the land and on, on the land and then in the end of um, my time in new zealand i came to this place called wilderland which is a used to be a hippie community at this, in the 70s and mm. 
um, thankfully, these people have planted um, a lot of very nice orchards and um, of different citrus um, citruses. So, um, um, so this site is um, on the Coromandel Peninsula. For anybody who wants to check that out, um, it's a very beautiful peninsula close to Auckland, and um, uh, it, there's a, like a warm stream flowing atop of it, and um, there's there's no frost, so they can grow avocado trees and citrus trees there and um um yeah and basically you know this this was my first contact with agroforestry sites because they were also growing in between the orchards they were growing vegetables and there was chickens running around and all that kind of stuff so i really felt this thing of garden eden and um these people just told me oh this is organic farming this is how you do it so i had this very naive thought of how, this is what organic farming looked like um, in <laughs> germany because uh, it was actually at the end of my trip and then i you know, as I said, start studying um, in the University of Kassel and Witzenhausen. And, um, uh, and, you know, I, with that picture in my mind, um, you know, I wanted to, to delve into this thing. And, um, and you know, all the science and research that I found on this was actually saying, hey, it doesn't need to look like Garden Eden, but you know, it can be very different. You know, I, I always like to say agroforestry has many different faces because um, you can have animals in it, you know, you can have grains growing and olive trees or whatever um and uh you know i realized hey this is actually a really versatile form of land use that can be really adapted to so many different contexts um that there's always going to be some kind of form of that kind of land use being beneficial um to the land be it for biodiversity be it for to re reduce other um environmental stresses like um uh, like um, increasing winds or, um, you know, or too much sun um, or, or, or drought or something like that. Um, yeah. this, is, this is kind of this, we call it like a multi-tool, <laughs> like a, a leatherman of, of our um, land use systems, really. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's not the silver bullet. It's not the answer to it, but it can really, if, if implemented well, it can really be a very helpful tool, in, especially in, in, the, in, in the face of climate change. And that not just for environmental reasons, but also for economical reasons. And that is, you know, all these old agroforestry systems historically been used for self-sufficiency. So all, every crop that was growing there was also used in some kind of way and form. So they weren't hippies back then, you know, they weren't, you know, just doing it for nature. They were actually, <laughs> they were actually taking quite a lot out of it. And um, yeah. If you look at the historical um, apple orchards here in Germany, they're the most biodiverse um, habitats that we have here, with yeah. about five thousand different um, species living. It being that plants and insects and birds and mammals and all that, um, <clears throat> and um, that part of it is because um, these orchards the um, were used for um, feeding the animals. Uh, taking off the leaves and the, the trees so basically what they were doing is was depleting the land of its nutrients and with that creating a space for a lot of different um, uh, um, uh, um, species um, to, to live on on, on this um, um, kind of soil um, so there's there's this conflict between fertile soil and biodiversity I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people know about that but excess nitrogen really um, you know is a problem for a lot of um, very specialized um, um, herbs and other and, and, and um, other species um, growing in, in, in an orchard or in a pasture, and um, yeah, so th that that is part of our cultural heritage. And I think I would 
for me personally, I would say that it is possible that with our new understanding of the environment, which is not, you know, we're still at the brinks of it, I guess, but um, um, with our ecological understanding, we can now, um, you know, forge fitting agroforestry systems that can bring us back to these times in the sense of fostering biodiversity and, um, you know, um, being a weapon against climate change or the effects of climate change, or not a weapon, a shield, really. Um, mm. <clears throat> and at the same time, being economically viable. I think this is this is what we set out to do, at least, and, and, and is our goal. And that is the big chance with agroforestry. And the great thing is nobody, um, you can implement all the other really great sustainable practices you can you know the cattle grazing underneath trees can be done in uh, some form of mob grazing style or you know we the trees don't care they don't discriminate that <laughs> um so um you know or you can plant pvs in a in vineyard site you know it's not a problem it, it, actually the opposite it, it works really well together and that's why i'm so fascinated or why we are um, thinking this is such a great um way of looking at um, farming Okay, that was a long answer to your question. Um, <laughs> no, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, hmm. Well, I think there's a few things. Um, I'd love if if somebody who listens to this and comes to be a um, happens to get our client afterwards. Um, you know, come. There's a few things you should you know question um, ask yourself and have some answers for. And that is, as I said, your main goals and try to prioritize them. And also, really like. What's your understanding? What's your level of knowledge around trees? And um, and that's not being like like just be, try to be realistic about this. And also, what's are you how just be realistic about re your resources. This is my big three um, uh, things to look at. Because um, let's face it, most wineries, you know, they don't sit around fiddling their thumbs, um, not knowing what to do. They're they're really you know quite challenged businesses all all year round. There's a lot of yeah. um, you know. At times, and um, I just want to be realistic that the, with agroforestry, this is first we have an implementation phase. You know, but we, we these things don't give us the benefits that we want to reap of them <laughs> in the first year. They actually take quite a long time to to give us what uh, the shade that we need and all that stuff. So, mm, you know, just be re try to be realistic about how much time you want and are able to spend. Um, taking care of the trees because that is very important especially the first three years and um yeah uh, and and how much resources you have also maybe to, to, to do more trainings in for example how to prune trees um mm -hmm. you know these are these are the my main three things and everything else you know it's it's, it's part of the process to, to figure out yeah yeah learning to print that prune fruit trees in my or in my case many different kinds of trees uh, yep. you know different yep. species of fruit trees is is a is a big one oh <laughs> um, well, yeah which you know it's like i it takes a lot to know how to properly prune up just a vine and, mm -hmm. and exactly yes you know and and that's just one species and then you introduce you know persimmons and pears and apples mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. chestnuts and walnuts and <laughs> and uh, you know yep mulberry and <laughs> yep. maple and everything else and yeah um the, each one takes its own special knowledge mm -hmm. so yeah there's a ton exactly. to ton to know there yeah um which is that's a part of the fun <laughs> yeah yeah for me for sure absolutely mm -hmm. yeah um well and then what was the other thing that you said the what were the three 
the, the, <laughs> you know, repeat those three things that <laughs> yes. people should think about. Sure. Um, the first one is the um, is, is the goals. Uh, the second one is the you know knowledge. How much? What do I need to learn more? Um, mm -hmm. And and the third one is your time and resources to take care of the tree. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I I know. I I think about that too. Is like this is. I mean, I think I I joked with you that like if I see this vision realized for this mm -hmm. land, it'll probably be like the day before I die. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, thirty well, years or so from now, forty well, years from, from now. But speaking about that, I mean, we haven't really. I, I, I was just having, I was following the time for quite a while now, and uh, and then I was thought your know, uh, questions were really interesting. So, um, and but I would love to still go into your designs if that's okay with you. Um, Absolutely, no, I, I right. for sure <laughs> would love. To. Yeah, I mean, please, I, I want you to lead because I feel like I'm the one that's leading us off topic with all these other things. So please, yeah, well. well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that, and you'll have to stay tuned for the second part where I dig into the actualities of the project that I'm working on. The decisions I made in specific, we get into real nuts and bolts about why I'm doing it, what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and the questions that I still don't have answers for because there are so many. And we actually will talk through the project uh, as I did it and implemented it, and I we will actually reference slides. And so, in that, when we when I publish that, I will also make those. Uh, slides available for the design project that I worked on for this Vita Forestry project, or really much more than Vita Forestry project, polyculture, wine forest, crazy farm project. So tune in next week for that. Thank you so much.